Lead with love. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science, a mentoring platform for people-first leaders of all levels. Here, we talk to exceptional leaders who prioritize culture, get fired up about employee engagement, and are excited to share ideas and tools for bettering employee experience to help others. Thank you for joining us to invest in being a better leader. Now, let's get to it. Today, I get to spend time with Renee Smith, the founder and CEO of A Human Workplace. There's a lot of passion and goodness put into this work she does and packaged into this episode to share with you. We're ready to inspire leaders to integrate love or more love into the way they lead. Renee and her team are researchers, and it is proven that loving leadership and cultures built on love create stronger, healthier, and better businesses. Hey, it's Nikki. I hope that everyone listening right now agrees that the world needs more love and less fear. I'll just start by assuming that we're all on the same page with that belief. Now, the reality is that there still is a lot of fear-based leadership in the world, especially in the workplace, and I'm here to say it doesn't work. I have a friend here with me today that has made eliminating fear-based leadership and inspiring, loving leadership her mission, especially when it comes to the workplace. She travels around the globe sharing this message and has built a team to support her in her company, A Human Workplace. Renee Smith, welcome to Gut Plus Science. This episode is teeing up a new series coming to Gut Plus Science called To Work With Love. I am so excited about my team. I know you and your team. And we have so much that we could cover in this intro episode to really dig into what that means and eliminating fear and leaning into love. I want to start by acknowledging the large issues with loneliness in our world, high levels of stress, higher levels of depression than we've ever seen. Just looking at the reality of where the world is to say why the world needs more loving leaders. So I'm going to turn it over to you to kick us off. Oh, Nikki, it's so great to be with you. And what you have named, like, can't you just feel that in your body, even as you say that, and probably listeners as you're naming the reality of this environment, and we can all feel it. It's not just our team members that we're worried about who are experiencing grief, burnout, stress, loneliness, but we are too. And the levels of burnout are like at 89%. 89% of people have expressed that they have experienced symptoms of burnout. I think I've read that 57% of people have experienced some kind of grief from a loss in the last three years. And the Surgeon General Vivek Murthy talks about loneliness and has published a lot about loneliness and called out loneliness as a major health concern in our country with one in every two people experiencing measurable levels of loneliness and all the harms that come from that. So the data are there to tell us that these experiences are real and our own experiences tell us that too every day. So it is real and those experiences have such a high cost on us as just as human beings trying to live our lives, but certainly as people in workplaces trying to accomplish things that are important to us. So that struggle and that reality is certainly something that we're all swimming in and trying to swim against to make progress to come out to do something different in the world, right? Yeah, absolutely. And You know, I've liked to say for a long time, I don't know who said this phrase, but I've adopted it, that the workplace is such a mission field 
to be able to change things in the world. And as leaders, we have the greatest opportunity to be able to make waves that not only impact the workers, but then the families and the communities and places that they hang out, the teams and all of that. And so I like to always start these episodes with the mindset shift that we should consider. Let's talk about how we as leaders in the workplace can help this problem with loneliness and helping people feel more connected and things with regards to the shift in thinking about how we as leaders can help make a positive change. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. There's an old way of thinking about what it is to lead and why we step into leadership or management, why we're doing the work that we're doing. And then our focus primarily is about whatever the output is. And certainly there is that. We have to deliver on whatever our promise is for the work of our organization or our team. But the only way that we do that is if we embrace this other large portion of our role, which is really about people. It's about care for people. It's about supporting people. It's about connecting and building relationship with people and caring about their well-being. And not just as resources to be used, but as other human beings that we can have a positive impact on, means by which we can influence the world in a positive way, that we can leave a legacy, that we can make an impact. I always think about that old image from the 50s, I guess is what I associated with dad coming home from work, grumpy, he's had a bad day, comes in, kicks the dog, slams the door, gets behind the newspaper. And that's such a stereotype. Maybe that still happens for some people today, but there are different versions of what that looks like when we struggle in the workplace, when we experience negativity in the workplace, when we feel unseat, unheard, disempowered, disrespected, afraid. And then we have our fear response and stress response triggered. And then we go home and we go out into our community and we are certainly not our best selves. We're certainly not going home and then shifting it suddenly into being able to be loving because that fear and trauma is still triggered in us. So we have a chance as leaders to shift that in society, to make this ripple of difference. And I think that the shift that we need to make is just embracing that that can be our role, that we have proximity. We have time. We have this critical, important relationship in people's lives. We, by our presence and our role as leaders, can make such a tremendous difference. Why would we not embrace that? And good news, it helps the work get done better. It helps us meet our goals and objectives. So it's not a trade-off, but a blending and a complementariness of those two things. And thank you for mentioning that about business outcomes, because There's such amazing business outcomes that you've seen in your work alongside loving leadership and how that directly ties to bottom line results of the business. And everyone is enjoying the process as well. We're going to make sure we talk about that. I had mentioned in teeing this up that your work strives to make a shift from fear-based to love-based leadership and the same like workplaces that are built on love. What holds leaders back? What holds workplaces back from the shift? Several things. I think some leaders don't see relationships as core to their job. Some people think their job is about the widget, the outcome, the whatever, they're only about that. And so if they don't understand relationships as core, then that gets in the way of stepping into this way of being in your leadership. And so if you can kind of envision in your mind a set of circles with one circle in the middle and then these other important circles around the outside, different things can occupy that central place. And when it's care for people that are in that central place, then all the other circles that are on the outside that are also critical, we make better decisions in those circles. So you can imagine people at the center and then around the outside is product, is profit, is policy, is our process, is power. 
other elements of our work and life and our organization that are important that can sometimes shift to be in the center instead of people. And when those do shift to be in the center and people move out of the center, bad things happen. So keeping people as primary is really crucial. And if we don't, that gets in the way of us embracing this way of working. Sometimes I come up with the cheesiest analogies or sayings or whatever, but here's the one I'm going to say right now. We can't let one bad egg ruin the dozen. And so what's coming to mind with that is we're all striving to build these workplaces. Those of us that are listening that are working on betterment, we want to lead from love. However, many times we're on a team where there is this one maybe key leader that it's just hard to overcome because this one leader just keeps setting us back. And I'll bring this to life for a second. I was at a business dinner the other night that a client had invited me to, and we were going around introducing ourselves. And the HR leader said, I don't feel comfortable sharing my name and my company because I'm so embarrassed of where I work. You would have heard the news about what our CEO has done recently, something like that. And I'm listening. I'm like, wow, I actually haven't heard an introduction like that. And so obviously we're all intrigued. And she goes to talk about her personal mission. She's been there for a year in, in an HR leadership role. And all the comments she said had nothing that indicated she would be leaving soon. And so I've thought about it so many times that she was up for the challenge saying, yep, our CEO is in the news. I've only been here a year right now. I don't want to throw that out here because I don't want it to take away from the good that I want to do at this workplace. And the point that I am making is just from a standpoint of there are many people listening and there's like this one bad egg, though, that's standing in the way. Maybe just a way to think about why some leaders lead from that fear based. It is insecurity their own insecurity. It's like, how do we frame it in our mind so that we fight the good fight with our peers that want to do this and try to work as hard as we can to help overcome the bad egg? Anything come to mind there? It depends. What you do really depends. Here's the one answer to that question, because each person has to evaluate for themselves. Is it worth staying? Do I have the energy? Do I need this job right now? What's the toll it's taking on me? Like evaluating all of that and being real with yourself and finding your coping strategies if you're going to stay, finding your way forward for the person that's in that seat, the seat of the woman that you're describing. And then there can be times when, okay, like you say, peace out and it's time for me to go on because this has become damaging or harmful in some other way. I've reached my limit. Thinking about that leader, why might they be that way? Their own acculturation around what leadership looks like. Yes, their own insecurity, their own anxiety, their lack of self-awareness. So many leaders over their career who come to realize, wow, when I was in that moment, I was behaving in these ways, just not having self-awareness. There was a leader that I interviewed who was like that. And, you know, was a younger leader. He thought he was doing a great job. He cared about people in his heart. He was just following a model that he'd been given and didn't realize how he was landing on people. And something happened that no one told him about. And he was just like, shop, why didn't anyone tell me? And the administrative assistant had the courage to say, they're afraid of you. And he was completely floored, just set him back on his heels, shocked. And he said, you got to be kidding me. Like, why would they be afraid of me? And then there was a little dialogue and he learned a little bit more and was able to gain some insight and breakthrough and really do some deep work on himself and set a new path for himself of habits and of way that he was showing up, learning from that to not be someone who instilled fear and turned around the trajectory of his leadership. Those are some of the things that come to mind. Yeah, that's good. Because I know that there are people here listening that have those situations. And it's like, 
how do we keep going? You know, we have this strong why and how do we keep going? Maybe putting it in another perspective about this person just hasn't become aware just yet. They haven't seen this opportunity and let's keep going to potentially make this shift, even though we've got that standing in the way. I know there's a number of people to deal with that. Another thing that comes to mind just in the things that can be standing in people's way is just their sense of time and prioritization. And I really wanted to call that out because sometimes leaders have the best of intentions to want to connect with their people, to want to act in ways that are more loving and less fearful. That does have a lot to do with relationship building. And maybe we'll talk into that a little bit. But one of the things that we have a difficult time with as leaders is evaluating the immediate costs versus the long-term costs of things. When we're under pressure and we have things bearing down on us, our decision bias toward dealing with those urgencies is high and the deprioritization of relationship building and people is low. But what we know is that Gallup has some data out there that shows that half of all voluntary exits report that in the three months prior to leaving the organization, that no leader or manager spoke with them about their job satisfaction or their future in the organization. So radio silence about how's it going for you and how are you feeling about this? What's your hopes and dreams and how can I help you grow or what's your experience like for three solid months before they left silence and then they leave. And then we have a 50 to 60% cost of their salary to replace them and anywhere from like a 90 to 200% cost overall to the organization in the bigger picture. But we don't evaluate the reality of that well when we're in the moment, we've got the list, we've got the pressure, the tyranny of the urgent thing doesn't help us keep in mind the exceptionally important longer term, deeper commitment to people and relationship building and just like tending to our people so that we avoid that more, ultimately more urgent and more important thing, if I could say it that way. Such a great point. And what a statistic, right? How often unintentionally, the unintentional thing is what is killing us, right? Leaning into those statistics. So it's like awareness, really important leadership focus. I want to go deeper on caring about people, prioritizing relationships. You talked about that's really an important core to who these leaders are. Could you bring that to life a little bit? Maybe share a story or stories of clients you work with or examples that just illustrate what that looks like done well. You know, when I think about that relationship building and just building meaningful connection, there's some sort of generalities about that. Just generally getting to know your team members as human beings, not as resources, not about what their skills are and maybe where the how they want to grow in their job and so on. Those are important. Yes, get to know those things and get to know who they are as people, as they would want to share, as they would choose. People are different in that. Not everyone wants to disclose and want to share more, some less. So meeting people where they're at and opening that door is really important. And then being mindful of how to make meaningful connections that are specific to each person and honor the nuance. So again, with respect to culture and style and sense of privacy or disclosure, we can learn things about people that help us to meet them in what we call moments that matter in ways that really count. And those moments that matter could be celebratory. It could be like something awesome happens. And let's say someone has a baby and maybe there's a celebration, but it's not generic. There's something specific to them. It might be the theme or something. We know they like fill in the blank. They like some cartoon or some story or I, who knows, but we meet them so that in a way that they know that we see them. I do research on love and fear and interview people about their love and fear experiences at work. And in one interview, someone shared a story about a time 
when they'd had a loss in their family. And they're a very private person. And when that loss happened and when he came back to work after the loss, his team members were aware and they didn't say much of anything to him. Like they knew that he would not want a lot of fuss made. He wouldn't want a lot verbalized, but they had placed some objects on his desk by his computer that delighted him and that like reflected that they knew who he was and what would be meaningful to him. There was some small expressions of we're here for you, that kind of thing. But it was them knowing him well enough to know that he wouldn't want a lot of gushing and a lot of emotional display, but that he could be acknowledged in a way that was most meaningful. We can only do that if we take the time to truly know people. So I would offer those as a a couple examples of what that can look like and why it's so important. Those are good examples. And I have to give you a little shout out as we have built a partnership recently. You have led our teams in a practice or activity, whenever we start our meetings, everyone does a quick check-in. And that looks like as a human, how am I showing up to this call today that helps all of us to just have uh, understanding and empathy for where people are and celebrate what's going on or give our heart to them. And, And I've loved that. I think yesterday we had a pretty meaty meeting and I remember looking at the clock and I felt like we had a very rich experience and it was four minutes in. And I was like, Wow, just a very powerful start in just a few minutes. So you do that really well. Thank you for naming that. It always feels funny to us when we don't, right? If if we don't do that. Sometimes I'll meet with team members in the morning and we'll check in, begin the day. And then four hours later, we might be in another meeting and we're all virtual teams. So we're popping in and out and we might be in another meeting, but we still check in. There's a lot that can happen between, you know, nine and one or whatever. So really it's about making sure that we know how am I arriving? What emotion, what energy, what hopes, what distraction? What am I bringing? Do I have a need? Do we need to pause so someone can go get some protein or get a drink or just step outside for three minutes or whatever? It's good to do that check-in and that connection. Yeah. I encourage everyone to try and adopt that. It is a powerful exercise. And hit Renee up if you need some help in understanding it more. I'm sure she'd love to share it with you. So Renee, let's talk about the process of creating a connected, loving environment from the ground up. So walk us through maybe a visual of what's at the foundation and how we take the first steps to building this vision for this loving workplace. It's maybe helpful to think about like a new executive. And even if you're in your role already, to think about yourself new as if you were to start out fresh today, what might you do walking in the door fresh? Because we can decide to show up again in a different way if we choose. One of the most important tools that I can recommend for this, but also we use this tool and apply it to almost anything. We call it the fear versus love tool, if you will. And it invites you to name the situation. So in this case, how might I start? If I'm a new leader coming in, how might I begin to create a more loving and less fearful environment? And to ask yourself, who's impacted? Who are my team members? Who's impacted by this? So there's a situation who's impacted. And then on one side of a piece of paper, here are all the things that I can do to make this really fearful. Here are all the things that I can show up in this organization, in this moment that will make people scared spitless. What can I do? What will help them to feel excluded, worried? have a sense of mistrust, to be doubting, to feel disrespected. Ask yourself that and make the list. And the thing is that we all know, we have a pretty good idea of the behaviors that will cause people to feel that way. And so make your list of the things that will create fear. 
And then on the other side of the paper, make a list of the things that would create a sense of love. And by love, we haven't even talked about what we mean by love yet. That's like a whole other episode. We will talk about that in future. But in short, I would say love is the energy that uplifts, it connects. That's a, a definition from my friend, Masha Engelberg. And love, as it plays out in the workplace, looks like respect, trust, kindness, empathy, and compassion, challenge, and courage, appreciation, inclusion. Those are sort of the versions of love that people are looking for in their workplace. And so with that in mind, then what are the things that you can do that would create that sense of love, that sense of all those qualities that I just named, and make that list? And then apply that to your first week's in your job and actually forevermore, but thinking about how do you enter? And so it probably looks like a lot of listening and a lot less talking, a lot less proclamation, um, and a lot more engaging and listening to people, bringing a sense of respect for what's happened, curiosity, and appreciation for who team members are, expressing a desire to get to know them, and investing that time upfront in listening really well, authentically, to learn about what's working what they're proud of, what should be continued, as well as what they're concerned about. Just um, listening with that sense of desire to learn and understand. They will tell you things that then you can, again, apply that fear and love tool to and say, okay, based on what we've heard now, how do we step forward and think about what would create fear, what would create love, and take actions accordingly. The other thing that you can do after you've listened is then to express, I want to be a kind of leader that helps you to feel loved each and every day that we create a team and organization where love is our dominant experience. And so I'd like to know what would help you to feel really loved and what would make you feel afraid so that I can be aware and have those dialogues. Let that be the foundation that you set out and make it explicit. Oh, that's so good. I love these tactical activities that we can go try. And I was thinking about the list of activities or actions that propel fear versus the ones that propel love. And if you went around a room of your leader colleagues to hear their perspectives on that too, from an awareness standpoint, you might hear something on the fear list that you're like, shoot, I'm doing that. Or inspired by some of these love actions that you hadn't thought about. That's just powerful stuff. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think the other opportunity is to have that conversation with leaders. What do they think? Make those lists. Then to have those conversations or gaining those insights from team members and then compare the lists and make sure that they're matched up. A next layer of that might be then taking those two agreements. Okay, we see that we all want the set of things. What are our agreements for how we're going to work together to make that happen? And then creating the environment where we can say, we just violated one of those agreements or can we have a conversation? Because there's a blind spot here. I think you're doing this thing that we said we wouldn't do. Did you realize? And we can begin to learn together and grow together and strengthen both our relationships and our way of working. It's good. I'm curious to hear some unexpected awesomeness, if you will. So in your experience working alongside leaders and organizations to help them make this shift of a more loving workplace and showing up that way, what surprises them? Sometimes people have noted the gratitude that employees express, like just outright, thank you so much. I never thought I'd be working in a workplace that would center love, that would center people, that would center care in this way. Especially if they've come from other circumstances that were not that way, that were fear-based. There's often just this expression of gratitude that's really amazing. Sometimes leaders will note how employees begin, especially if there's an initial declaration, initial exploring and naming and laying out what we mean by less fear and more love. Leaders will note that 
people immediately begin to work on their relationships. Like, oh, I've got this awareness. The bar has just been raised and the pathway has just been created that I can go and I feel called in my heart, in my conscience to go take action either to repair or to strengthen those working relationships. And they actually watch people make those meetings and go reach out and see the repair begin to happen. I think others are struck sometimes by the work that they actually need to do personally. We can often say yes to something, and this is almost always the case, right? We get inspired, we choose something, we like, okay, I'm going to say yes to this, or we're going to go down this path. And then we come further along and we realize, oh, there's a whole bunch more here than I thought. Oh, I didn't realize it was going to touch this, or I was going to have to examine that. And it kicks off this entire learning journey that's really quite beautiful, that's really pretty profound. But it does call us as leaders to step into self-examination and willingness to reflect and be with our whole self, our, not only our thinking, but our feeling and our sensing to deepen who we are as people. And to me, that's the most profound gift that leadership can give is the chance to actually grow as human beings ourselves in order to be the leaders that we want to be. And I think sometimes the other thing that happens is that there can be like the revealing of challenges that need to be faced. Like, ooh, we've got a mess over here now that we've sort of set this as the bar, like the compare and contrast surfaces, or someone finally speaks about something that's happening that they haven't felt safe to speak about before, and they surface that concern. So all of those are some examples of what can happen as you begin to journey down this less fear and more love path. So Renee, before we head over to our lightning round where we get to learn a little bit more about the personal side of you, I'd love to wrap us up with highlighting the patterns, the uniqueness that you see alongside working with loving leaders and loving workplaces. How are they handling difficult conversations or challenges that typically cause uproar or whatever in the non-loving environments? What do you see with the patterns of difference and how difficulties are handled? First of all, they are handled, right? They're not avoided. And that is a key. I think there can sometimes be a misconception that if a loving environment is just soft and squishy and permissive and just allowing whatever to happen and not addressing issues. And that is a misconception because that is not loving. We can't avoid dealing with bad behavior or poor performance. That's not loving to the person who is involved in those kinds of activities or those behaviors that need to have guidance, direction, correction. We need to step up to those moments and address those needs. And it's not loving for others in the organization or in the larger system either for our customers, for our stakeholders. So yes, we have to address those. And so much of it has to do with how we address those. But it's about dignity, respect, and the courage to hold space for people. If I need to bring to you the news that you're not performing well, I can do that in a cold, heartless, inhumane way, or I can do that in a caring, respectful, dignified way that supports your learning and growth. If I need to give you the news that we are having to restructure and you're losing your position or you're being moved to a position, maybe you're being offered a different position, or it, you know, it might be that there has to be layoffs, as sometimes it's necessary in order to maintain the integrity of organizations' financial performance. If that's necessary, I don't avoid the conversation and the truths and your emotions, your experience in favor of my own emotional comfort. So I'm going to be in leadership. I need to be willing to be uncomfortable in these key moments that matter for people. And so... Yeah, I'm going to deliver you the news and give that information in the most humane and respectful and dignified way. 
it might mean that we have an initial conversation and then knowing that your brain has just fogged over, we're going to come back and talk again when you can connect more and yet can hear more, give you the opportunity to express back or ask questions. And that I can hold space for your emotions and holding space, meaning being here present, not being defensive, not being explanatory, not dismissing, but just honoring the fact that you have feelings about what just happened and that I can be witness to those. I don't have to take them in. I don't have to take them personally, but I can be witness to those and respect that you have those. And that's going to make me uncomfortable. It's not fun. What I'm talking about is not a happy, fun part of our work as leaders, but it's a necessary part of our work. And if we can develop the emotional muscle to hold spaces like this for people and to step into these more challenging conversations, we grow our capacity as a team all across the board. That's really good. And it's like, wow, how many times do we dance around things? And I think the point that I want to leave us with here is the importance of investing in our leadership development to be able to have those conversations. It's not easy, right, for us to come to the table comfortable and know how to say these things. And we need to invest in doing that so that we can show up with that way of being to be able to hold space. This is not something you can listen to a podcast episode and be like, okay, I can go rock this out. It takes time and dedication over and over through coaching and and advisors like the people on your team to be able to help with that. And it's not easy. And we all have the responsibility as leaders. But it's so worth it. So worth it. Yes, for not only us to feel more comfortable, but the ripple effect we get to have on so many people's lives. Going back to what we said in the beginning of how many people are impacted by loving workplaces or on the other side, fear-based workplaces. Renee, this has been such a treat. You're going to be with us a whole lot more coming up. So this is the first of many. We would love to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor message today. Come back to our lightning round where we'll just have a really quick get to know Renee on the personal side before we head off. So we'll be right back. Shout out to the Talent Talks podcast by Titus. Show host Jonathan Reynolds, CEO of Titus Talent, brings a unique blend of fun, humor, and passion. Jonathan's vibrant energy shines through the microphone as he engages with every guest live, creating a captivating synergy. Jonathan collaborates with each guest to delve into topics that empower leaders to make optimal hiring and engagement decisions from a people-first lens. You gotta give this podcast a try, Talent Talks. All right, Renee Smith, we are back on Gut Plus Science with the lightning round. And we always ask this question. We have an ever-growing list. It's 300 and some strong right now. So we'd love to hear your favorite recent read or all-time favorite book that you'd recommend to our leader listener audience. So I'm going to recommend actually two books, a set, if you will, that are not leadership books, but that I was so inspired by as a leader and that actually gave me so much hope. And so I first read the book, all the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr, which was a Pulitzer Prize winning book published, I think, in 2014, maybe. And it's a beautiful book. It's a World War II book, but it has this incredible structure of these two characters on their way to meeting each other. And then he takes you back to their story and then they get closer and you go back and forth and back and forth between stories and through time until they finally connect. And it's like one of the only books I've ever read that I've read every word. I did not skip a word in this book because it was so beautiful. And I love fiction. I think it's good for us as leaders to read outside the usual leadership bookshelf and to just read about the human condition. That is a beautiful book. And then recently, this last year, I read Anthony Doerr's memoir 
called Four Seasons in Rome. And there's a subtitle that has to do with twins. And he had the opportunity to go to Rome and work for a year. And what was so beautiful about this book is that it was written in the early 2000s. And so it was written before this novel that won the Pulitzer. And you can see glimmers of him struggling to write the Pulitzer Prize winning novel. He's supposed to be writing this book and he just can't get traction. And he wants to write about these other things. And he's got these twins and this and that and all the cultural stuff that's going on that he's been inspired by. And what's beautiful is that you know where the story's going. He's eventually going to write this incredible book and win the Pulitzer Prize. But it's like this glimpse back into someone's life earlier where they have something they want to do, they need to do, and that they eventually will do. But to just see the human struggle on that, the day-to-day life of having twins and living in another country and all of this played out was like, ah, that's it. That's what happens to us as people. Like we each have things that we want to do and that we're struggling with, but we will get through and we'll come out the other side. Cool. I love that. I love the storyline there. That's awesome. Thank you for recommending that. And then tell us a story about a recent life experience that you may have never thought you'd be experiencing as part of your story, but you're loving it. You're thriving in it right now. So I just got remarried on May 19th. I got remarried and for one, never thought I would get remarried. That's been a surprise. And so to find my partner in life now, Jim, like to find life to be so easy and simple and uncomplicated and natural and just joyful. I'm just surprised to have discovered this and to be sharing this with him. There's these just delightful moments where we both wake up happy. We are both morning people. We both have the desire to do the same things at the same time. And and there's not a lot of negotiating and struggle. It's just ease and flow. And we laugh a lot and we dance in the kitchen and all of those things are really good. <laughs> So that's been amazing. And then I think the couplet with that is that early on in in our dating life, and as we were getting to know, and we were friends and then actually became a couple in the pandemic. And as that was happening, Jim said to me, you know, I have this question I have to ask you. My best friend is my ex-partner. So he was married and then had a partner that he lived with for several years and helped raise her daughters through high school and into college. And they're still dearest of friends. And he was just scared to death over how I would answer that question. Would it be okay if they were still friends? And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome to have a healthy relationship there. And like, can't we all be friends? I want to meet her. Like, let's get together. And still he was so nervous. But Beth and I were like, yeah, move aside. We just want to get to know each other. And we did. And now we're just all family. She's like a sister to me. And her daughters are like stepdaughters to me. And we have been able to craft this different kind of relationship altogether that has been a surprise and an absolute delight. Oh, I love that. I love that. Congratulations again on your marriage and just such a cool story there that just inspires us to think about the opportunity, the possibility, because sometimes we come to life with a one way of thinking. So I love that. And I'm just so happy for you. Before we go, I want to make sure that our listeners know how to connect with you. What's the best way for listeners to follow up if they'd like to get in touch? A couple of ways. Renee Smith, a human workplace on LinkedIn, or you can just email me at Renee, R-E-N-E-E, Renee at makeworkmorehuman.com. Okay, here's my truth you can act on, encouraging all of us to lead with love. 
Number one, prioritizing relationships and caring for people is at the nucleus of loving, effective leadership. So what are the activities and skills that you are developing to be a better relationship person for those you lead? Number two, awareness and intention come up a lot throughout this episode. Who can you ask for feedback? How are you doing when it comes with leading from intention? Consider steps to take to grow your awareness and enhance your intentional efforts. There's so many possibilities. And I think as leaders, we can sit down and reflect and ask others and find new ways to sharpen. Number three, ask your people what they need from you and listen. This is a powerful way to practice loving leadership. You could share with your people that you lead. I am working on being a more loving leader. How can I do this for you? That might be one way of doing it. And then just pause and listen. And number four, loving leaders hold space. They're prepared for handling uncomfortable conversations and they do it with dignity, respect, and courage. So maybe think about what are some of the coaching things that you need to be more comfortable in the challenging conversations that could be for both you and the other person? And how can you convey that you really care and that you're showing respect and that you've got the courage to be able to do that? I think it takes a lifetime commitment of constantly working on ourselves and sharpening ourselves. Thanks so much, Renee, for sharing with us. And we are so excited for your series to work with love that we're going to be hearing and seeing you a lot more. We'll see you all next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now, go do something with it.